for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. What's going on, everybody? Got another podcast for you this week. Today's guest is my boss, Mark Peterson, and we are talking all about his North American Deer Slam. Welcome back to another episode of the Fall Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Blasey, and today's episode is 240. I did this last time. Couldn't remember. I got to look at 249. We're getting up there. Uh, Had a great year with the podcast so far this year, all due to everybody listening. Thank you very much, and please keep spreading the good word, the word of mouth, and you know, let everybody know about the fall podcast because that's how we keep ticking. And uh, I I can't be any more grateful of all the support and everything. So I do want to say I do have some more season 22 shirts still left. So if you guys want a shirt, hit me up on the DMs and let me know. I'm going to reiterate also a little bit of what I said last week. I'm, I'm coming up with some new merch uh, designs and everything. And because I'm tweaking the logo a little bit, I'm changing the font, getting rid of the broadhead and the fall logo. So I'm keeping the antler. That's going to be going forward. Like that is the staple of the fall podcast is the Hambino antler. So going forward with that, but I'm I'm designing some new new merch as well. And don't know when it's going to be done. It takes time, and I don't have a lot of it to get. So I'm working at it late at night doing it. So um, yeah, but uh, I do want to talk about today's podcast a little bit. My boss, Mark Peterson. He is on the quest right now to kill a North American deer slam, which is 31 subspecies of deer. Now, this is a really cool story, and we're filming all these. So if you go to markvpeterson.com, or markvpeterson.com, his website, you can see the progression, but also go to Mark V. Peterson on YouTube, and you can see everything that we've done so far. Go down to the playlist, North American Deer Slam, and you can see what we've done so far and on his podcast the journey within podcast anywhere you get your podcast go and check out the journey within i help co-host his podcast on a lot of them um but we're doing these deer slams you know every time we come back from a, a trip we do a podcast on it as well so we get into talking about this whole deer slam today and it's really fascinating because there's 31 subspecies of whitetails mule deer access everything it's a really cool project. It's going to be about a four or five year deal. 
So that's going to be today's podcast. It's really neat. He goes into, we deep dive on a couple different species that I didn't even know existed, to be honest with you. And uh, it's just really neat to hear his perspective on it. So real quick, go through some partners. Helix Broadheads. Go get some broadheads. Use the code FALLHX10 at helixbroadheads.com. Next is Latitude Outdoors. Use the code the Fall Podcast, all one word, lowercase, at latitudeoutdoors.com to get some of the best mobile hunting gear out there. Exodus Trail Cams. Go to exodusoutdoorgear.com. Check out their render 4G LTE uh, cell cams. Also, Vector Arrows, I know the leagues are coming up, indoor leagues and all that stuff. Get some arrows, restock, use the code FALL10 at VectorCustomShop.com. And lastly is Garmin. Go check out their bow sites. You will not be disappointed. So with that being said, I'm not going to keep going down the dissertation of uh, just keeping you guys hanging here. Let's get into this interview with my boss, Mark, and uh, I think you guys are really going to enjoy this one. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Fall Podcast, and today's guest is my boss, Mark Peterson, coming on today, and uh, you guys have heard him before. Him and I did a podcast uh, not too long ago about your big deer that you killed last year in Michigan. Is that right? Yep, that is correct. Yeah, so I thought it'd be cool to have you on today, Mark, because I, I, I feel like a lot of people that listen to my podcast might not know what's going on, or if they do, because I have shared some things about this deer slam that you're doing, but I, I, this is like more clarification, but also I think it's a really cool project and I really want people to go over there and check it out. We're doing podcast on your podcast about it. We're also doing, they're all being filmed. So it's all on YouTube and TV and it's a really neat project. So that, that's what I want to get into today. Yeah, no, that sounds perfect. And I think that one of the things, because this is so new, I mean, it's never been done before in what I've learned with, with all the different types of slams I've done in the past. Um, it, it takes a little bit because it's never been done before. So it's new to people. So I think right. the more we can explain it and all that, like all the different species that are involved in it, like what the project is, why we're doing it, like what's the what's the point of it, where you can view it, listen to it, and all that kind of stuff, I think the, the more the better. Yeah, for sure. So I guess first and foremost, like let's get into like why you wanted to do this because this is, for everybody listen to this, like Mark is one of the most driven people I've ever been around, maybe even top. He just wants to to keep I don't I, I honestly don't know if you could sit down for a hot second and just be like good with it yeah, <laughs> like no, I, you you got to keep going to 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 stay stay on top of things so I guess where did this come from and why did you want to do this yeah so this I mean they all kind of spun off the same like I the first one I did was the upland slam and kind of continued from there, Upland Slam into the North America Waterfall Slam into the South America Waterfall Slam. And I, I just kind of, truthfully, I got kind of addicted to them. So before that, I've been in the outdoor industry almost 10 years now um, and filming shows ever, ever since I got in. I was trying to add the other day of how many linear shows total I've done. Um, and I'm almost, I know I'm over 225 Wow, I'm, I'm getting so. I mean, I, I'll be knocking on 250 linear episodes here pretty quick. Um, when I jo- when I started, like it was that awkward point of of linears changing, but digital's not there. Like I'm still gonna say, you know what, digital's truly not there today, just because it's so scattered on where you can find what's what's censored where. Sure. Um, 
what you have to do to get views on, on certain platforms and so forth. But over that, so like I, I started filming traditionally just like everybody else did. Um, I didn't, I didn't want to get into like the deer hunts because as I was, as I was viewing linear TV before I got into the industry, I felt like I always clicked on and, and man, it was another deer hunt. Mm-hmm. Now I get that because it's the, it's the biggest market of hunting that there is like you live and breathe it. So like, but I just, I, I looked at that and go, man, I can't like, that's, that's so tough for me to go in that and compete with a, a Waddell or people like that, like a David Blanton, the whole re- real tree crew. Yep. Like, like those guys have been doing it for 25 years. Like those are the guys that started. I can't just all of a sudden hop in there and, and compete with those guys. And truly, like you know me, I love mountain hunting. I love I love certain things. So when I when I started, um, I started mainly with international or or more mountain tougher, and I say tougher, physically tougher, or mentally tougher type of hunts, and kind of made my made my niche for that over the first four or five years. But what I quickly found is that holy smokes, I'm getting put into a box where you're okay that this is what he does the partners that want to work with me is is he's an international hunter or he does does just just mountain hunts and i'm like no i actually love all types of hunting so that's where like this idea of the upland slam is it was so different from everything else i had done never been done before um i had the dogs to do it and, and that's originally how i got into hunting was upland hunting with my dad so that started it yep and from that point, it became more of a, okay, this week I'm going to travel to British Columbia and go mountain goat hunting. This week I'm going to go to Kentucky and go whitetail hunting. Um, this week I'm going to go to Texas and go audit hunting. Then I'm going to go to Africa. And like each one of those, like I love every experience. I love new experiences. But like each one, like you would go there and be a short project and then it'd be over and you move on to the next one. What I found with the Upland one is, it, man, and you mentioned it earlier, I'm kind of a competitive person is, Holy smokes! Like this isn't this isn't like a, a a game. This isn't one game. This is a whole season sure. that you're into now, because you're playing chess along the way. Of holy smokes, I didn't get this bird here. I need to replan and go back over here on this trip to make it work. And and you have an end of the season approaching. And I loved all that pressure. I love telling the conservation story along each one. I love watching my dogs work. And from that, I'm like, man. I don't know if it was an adrenaline rush or what it was from that. So that's when I went to the North America waterfall slam and it was the same thing. All of a sudden you throw COVID in there. Well, it's not as, and it's not easy by any stretch of the imagination to start with, but then all of a sudden you take Canada out and you're like, man, it just got a lot tougher. Couldn't go to St. Paul, had to work some stuff through for Greenland. So it kind of like built on this, like each step along the way, I can tell the conservation story and I'm just engulfed in it, not engulfed for a week, not 10 days or 14 days, literally engulfed in it for four months mm-hmm. to where it's, it's a chess match all along the way. Like you're playing weather. There's so much, so much involved with it. And then I, I like translated that through to the South America one, because again, like it hadn't been done before. Like everybody that you'd seen before that had gone to South America, waterfall, honey, you go see, they shoot a bunch of ducks. You don't hear any backstory on the species. You don't hear anything about where they're at, what other species are there. And I'm like, well, man, I love that too. So same type of thing tell that conservation story around each one, how each species is different, where you can find them, what the hunting's like, the culture and so forth. And I'm going to continue those bird ones. Like I, I, I love those just because it's different. I love having a shotgun in my hand. I love new experiences. So like New Zealand's next on the list for waterfall and upland coming, coming in hot for 2023. And then, I mean, 
there's all parts of Asia, there's all parts of Europe, Africa, all these all these spots that have never ever got any love for duck hunting or upland hunting like what's there. And I understand that because it's so tough to get there, but I still like I I think there's there needs to be some love given to those. Now along the way like this idea of the deer slam because like to to me I love I love hunting new spots. I love hunting new species because each step I learn along the way. And I I had been accumulating this list for a while because there are a bunch of lists out there of of subspecies of whitetail. Like I'm sure you've seen them all. Yep. Different yep. different subspecies. Okay, because they're in this area, they're a, a seminal whitetail or they're a, a plains whitetail. And before, truthfully, like I was like, okay, well, now we're just making subspecies of whitetail up to make subspecies of whitetail up. That's truthfully how I looked at it in the past. Is like, okay, what's different from hunting in Michigan to hunting in Wyoming? Like it's a whitetail, sure, or or like Saskatchewan compared to Texas, like it's a it's a whitetail. Um, but then, like along the slam part, like I started putting it together, and like I started adding in different deer species, like the axis deer or the black-tailed deer. Um, even the Sika deer, like, like they're all these ones that I started adding in and like, I put it together and I'm like, man, first of all, this project couldn't be completed in a year. Well, if I wanted to stay married, it couldn't be completed in a year. <laughs> so, and it's one to do it justice. Like you, you need to do it for a course of years. And this for, for me, like, as an, like, like there are two parts to it. Like one, I wanted to do it because it's never been done before to tell the difference between each whitetail species to where four or five years down the road, somebody that's interested can go and literally look up 31 different species and have video um, articles written about them and podcasts talked about them to where you can go and compare yes. different subspecies or different like, man, what's the seminal like compared to, to, compared to a Gulf Coast whitetail? Like you can go and you can, the library will be there. Yep. So like it's it's not there now, but the library will be there four to five years from now on on the story behind each, how the hunting's done, the the local cultures and all that. Now from a from a individual purpose, like that's that's the the plan. But from like for me, like you know me, like I I love to have that drive behind. Okay, now all of a sudden I'm bouncing. Like I went to Kansas this year. Well, you were there with me. It was 98 degrees, 103. Mm -hmm. So like you did that early season hunt. Now you got to bounce around and play with the schedule and do it. So again, for me, it's it's really about that planning. It's now all of a sudden not about a week or, or like a one game. Now all of a sudden you're looking at a season, except this season's going to take four years or five years, however long it takes to complete it to where it just gives me and my planning and my schedule, it just kind of ratchets it up a little bit. And for me, like I, I just, I get more involved in it. And I feel like I can tell the story better if I'm more involved in it. For sure. And I, I want to hit on when you talked about like some of these, there's 31 subspecies that you're going after, but I want to talk about how you said there will be a library on all these species. And I want to go mm -hmm. back to a deer that you had just taken. Um, and, and as we're recording this, and this will go out probably right around the time that episode will go live, and it's the Gulf Coast whitetail deer. Mm -hmm. And so you went down to Veracruz, Mexico, and actually, did, yeah, we recorded the podcast on it. I'm, yep. I'm getting recorded so many podcasts that it's like they're all meshing together. Oh, yeah. So we recorded a podcast on it, and 
when I went back, because I wasn't on that trip, Justin and Adam were on that. So when I went back and I wanted to learn more about that animal myself, just to kind of gear me up for the podcast to to kind of host and, and talk about it, I couldn't find anything on this animal. Mm-hmm. So like, and I'm sure there's more on this list, like the other one, the Columbian white-tailed deer out in the Pacific Northwest in Oregon. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize there was only two counties. I, there's two, right? That you can yep. even, that they're even exist in. Yep, there are two that you can exist in, one county that you can hunt them in. Yeah, so like stuff like that, like there there are so many things on these species, and as I get into them, like it's making my my head spin a little bit, but also it's really cool to like broaden my horizons and just learn more about these animals. There's so many. There, I'm looking at the list right now. There's just oh, so yeah. many animals, and it's like, but and the other thing is, is I t- I talk to you about all the time too, is like the parallels, like you know, because you and I come from whitetail whitetail centered like mm-hmm. in, in majority of hunters out there that are deer hunters are whitetail people so like i want to know more like let's let's take the red bracket deer like when you you've already been out trying to hunt a red bracket yep. and you were unsuccessful right you got to go yep. back um mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about the red bracket and the parallels that there are with whitetails and scrape lines and stuff like that like because i remember you telling me a story about finding scrapes and everything and i'm like this is this is wild yeah. so yes. tell me about that so like a bro- like a bracket deer will probably be the smallest deer species that I that I hunt. Now I haven't seen one actually up close before, so I can't like even tell you like holding it in my hands how big it is. But a bracket deer lives in lives in the jungle. So if you think about that, you're, it's not like out west to where you can see for miles and glass up deer. It's not like mule deer hunting or or even whitetail hunting in in western Kansas or or spots like that that you can glass up deer. So it's very confined. But brocket deer, just just like a whitetail anywhere, they have a scrape line. So they hit that scrape line. The difference with a brocket deer is they're extremely territorial. So they and their scrape line doesn't go for miles. It may go for a half mile if you think about how dense a forest is. So it seems like it's a, it's a lot bigger. But once you get on a hot scrape line, that's what you hunt. You sit on a scrape line in a machan, which for people that don't know. A machan is an elevated blind. Usually in the jungle, it's uh, um, truthfully, it's a hammock in a tree. So you're literally sitting in a hammock. And you'll hunt basically all day sitting in a hammock over a scrape line waiting for that deer to come through. Now in the jungle, there's food basically everywhere. You can bounce around. So they have like these gum gum fruit trees that they drop. The deer will hit those. And they have other other trees that are dropping. But there's so many... It's not like you have a, a draw in Iowa to where something or acorns start dropping or something like that to where you can go and center on it for two weeks. There's so much food all the way through the year in the jungle. So the best way to hunt them is you find these hot scrape lines. And if you find a scrape that's that's freshly done, you get a machine set up on that. That's your best chance of success. Now, here's one of the cool things too. Like this is a small, small deer species. So if you see a scrape, like their scrapes are like a 10 inch circle plate. Okay. Now, now picture that to like some of the whitetail scrapes that you've seen in the the northeast or basically anywhere in the U.S. Sometimes you'll find one of those bowls that's like a six foot scrape that's been scraped for thirteen years straight that's yep. eight inches deep. Like these things are so small, it's just like they move the leaves. Yeah. And like you'll see a rub on a tree. A rub on a tree is twelve inches high. Like that's the that's their rub, and it's only like four inches vertical. Mm-hmm. And it's on like a little scrub tree because they're not that big a deer. 
So like hunting these things and it's so vegetated in the jungle, it's very tough to ever get a full look at what a brocket deer looks like. You're, you're glassing and you're like, I can see its head and yup, it's got antlers. And it's not like a, a big set of antlers. They're literally spikes that have some little brows on it sometimes, but most of the time it's just long, long spikes. Yeah. See, and that, that's the crazy thing. It's like, you know, we get so, as hunters, we get so narrow focused or tunnel visioned about like, you know, and even me, myself, like this, but there's more out there and there's, there's these other animals that even Mm -hmm. though they look different, they do the same, basically the same things that as like a whitetail does. Like that's the crazy coolest thing about it. Um, to me anyway. Yep. So, and I mean, there's like, if I, if I look at the list, like there's obviously going to be ones on here that, that draw more attention just because I think more people hunt them. If you know what sure. I mean, like, yep. a te- like a Texas whitetail. Well, think about how many people in Texas hunt a whitetail or how, how not easy, but more feasible it is for other people in the U S to, to eventually go and hunt a, a deer in Texas. Yep. Or if we go to Kansas and are successful in Kansas, like you, you're going to go to Kansas, it, it's very doable or Kentucky. Like there, there are certain spots that I think are going to draw a lot more attention just because of the deer species they are a desert mule deer. Or like a coos deer, like they're crazy coos deer hunters um, in the southeast. Like I know you haven't been there yet, but those guys in Arizona, New Mexico, like those guys in Utah, um, Southern California, like those guys that live next to the coos deer area, those guys are, are coos deer freaks. Yes. And yep. and coos deer act completely different. Like they're they're like they're down usually generally down lower, and you'll just see them disappear down in the desert floor, and then all of a sudden they'll pop up. Like it's for people that like to glass and spot and stalk, it's a it's a great type of experience, great type of hunt. But you'll find these find these pockets all over the place. Yep. Um, and then like as I look at the list, like there's some odd ones, like like a sandbar deer in California. Like I bet if you asked. A thousand people that listen to your podcast, how many people knew that they're free range sandbar deer in California? You may have 15, 10 to 15, like, like 1% of the people may know that they're there just because there's so few tags to hunt them every year that that's on the main ranch. Now they're California actually has a season for them. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people didn't, didn't know that. Yeah. And I'm like, man, that's awesome. Well, let's, let's highlight that. That's now that's not a traditional deer species that you think of in the U S like I put axis deer on here. A lot of people hunt axis deer, but again, it's probably not a traditional deer species that you think of. And even, even the blacktails, like a lot of people don't think of blacktails because of where they're at, California, Washington, Oregon, up into, up into, um, British Columbia, like some of the areas that they're blacktails. So again, that's not a big, a big draw for guys from the east like i think the big draw for guys from the east would be a, a rocky mountain mule deer mm-hmm. like they al- they always think of that and where you can hunt those at or a desert for guys down in the south like a like a desert mule deer cuz you can hunt desert mule deer down in texas you don't even have to cross into mexico like they're desert mule deer down in texas and they're, and they're growing bigger deer every year just because they're getting more tlc on those as well yep yeah, for sure. Like the sandbar deer, like that's another one. And a lot of guys that listen to this probably never heard of a sandbar deer, mm-hmm. you know? So sandbar is kind of like a mini elk, wouldn't you say? Like yep. that's... Yeah, that's a very, it's a, that's a very good. So I, I was fortunate enough to hunt them on Marble Island in Australia this past year. So I've, I've hunted them before, but like, I'm looking forward to telling the story. How the heck did they get here? Yeah, exactly. How long have they been here? Yeah. Like, like I want to tell that, like, where are they living out there? 
Mm-hmm. How are they? How are they been around for a hundred years and, and general population doesn't know about them? Like, like I'm more intrigued like on that and telling the story of just how they got there, how they're how they're managed. Like, what what's all that about? Yeah, and you know another thing of about these animals too is like. You know, I even talk about it in White Tales and like how somebody back in the day wrote this invisible book and how, this is how you're supposed to hunt White Tails. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I think every White Tail hunter, me included, and possibly you, it's like at one time in your life, it's like, okay, well, I can't do that because so and so said that I couldn't do that. Like, well, mm-hmm. you know, the thing that I like about your approach to all these animals is, is adapting and pivoting when you need to. So, like, the Carmen deer. You know, when we went down to Mexico, there's so many different ways to hunt, hunt a Carmen. You can sit, you know, you can high rack, you can sit up mm-hmm. high, you can spot and stalk, whatever. But like, and we tried every method, you know, yeah. until we found out one that worked. And that's like another cool thing about like how you're approaching this. Now, when we go to Saskatchewan, there's kind of only one way to really do that. Yeah. Like at the time well, we did a, that, you that's know, a grinder out. It's a it, grinder it, out in the it, old stand. It, it, it is what it is, you know. And you, you excited to get up there next year? I am. I, I'm very excited. I was actually yeah. emailing with Emily. She emailed me the other day and uh, wanted to get logistics with my family and everything. So when we go up there, but um, yeah, I, I'm excited for it. I will tell you, you know, like you and I talked about it, but that hunt was a, I wouldn't say a lot different than I thought it was going to be, but mm-hmm. it was very, um, uh, I'm not going to lie to you. I thought it was going to be a slam dunk first morning, big old giant come in and here we go. You know what I mean? And it's, it's hunting. It's, it's, that's, that's uh, me being ignorant to me. (laughs) So, and it it is. So it like all that's timing too. Like here, how many times have have you hunted in Michigan for eight, 10 days in a row? And you're like, gosh, just a grind. Yep. And then you take three days off. And something's changed, and you go back out, and the first morning you go back out, you're lucky. Yes. Yep. Because, like, I look at that, like, we were there, that cold front hit, like, literally the day that we arrived, that we were traveling into camp. And in my head, like, how many, and this is one of those, like, you talk about when somebody wrote that book way back when of how to hunt deer. Like, I've always been told, okay, snow's coming or a cold front. Get there because the deer are going to be moving. Mm -hmm. You know what? The more I've hunted, that's BS because deer, <laughs> deer need a time to adjust. So don't yes. that first snowstorm, like that first snowstorm, I've seen some of my slowest movements ever. And that's yes. from Saskatchewan, Michigan, anywhere. Like that first snowstorm hits and deer are like, what is this? I'm going to just, they may move, but I think like for me, I think their general circles a lot smaller when that hits. Yep. Because just like, just like us as humans, like when that first snowstorm hits, think about how we reduce our travel down. Yeah, a lot. Like I, we're we're like first snow, and then everybody's got to learn to drive again, and it's like, like I look at that, and like I'd always been told being young is like, man, when that first snowstorm hits, you better get out there. Yep, and I agree. Now I look, now I look at it, I'm like, man, big temperature drop, snowstorm coming, I'm gonna get out there about two or three days later because mm-hmm. those deer are gonna be adjusted, and now that their bodies kicked in and tell them they need to eat, like that, that's that's the change. So like same thing, we're going to Saskatchewan, like the whole thing. I'm like. Old mentality is, man, temperatures are dropping, snowstorms hitting, it's going to be awesome. And then all of a sudden, like, I think everybody that saw it, so it like wasn't just us in our blind, it wasn't Kevin and his blind, but it was literally between the two lodges, between the outpost camps, like everybody, those first couple days, like the movement was way down across everybody. 
mm-hmm. they had, I think there was nine or 10 total hunters out and spread across literally 80 square miles. And everybody basically saw the same thing as that total deer movement was down. Now, were a couple target bucks shot during that period? Yes. But then all of a sudden you have that to where three or four days later to where it's like the majority of the deer have adjusted. And then all of a sudden, I think it was day four to where I think five target bucks got shot. Yep. Which would have been the fourth day after the snowstorm. Well, what made it, what made all the deer move that day? Like compared to the other days. Now, don't get me wrong. You're still getting deer that move, but just as, as a more of a mass, like the deer, like to me, I'm like, well, deer got used to it. And they're like, I need to go and eat. Mm-hmm. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, which is the one I like, and Keto. Get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's waypointpod50 at factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 to get 50% off. Yeah. They've stayed that, you know, that, that snow, I mean, it's, it's snowed and snowed and snowed yeah, yeah. and, and it, it keeps them hunkered down a little bit. And I, I'm a firm believer in that as well. Like look at this year in Michigan on opening day, you know, mm-hmm. it, it snowed like crazy. Our first snow of the year. And yep. I think a lot of guys like the, the biggest feedback I got from a lot of hunters was that it was slow. You know, you did yep. see deer get, you know, some good deer die, but it was slow. And then, like in our camp, we did kill a couple deer opening day, but then like mm-hmm. the third, fourth day of season, like the the sightings went up, you know, and yep. and yep. I just think it it happens anywhere, you know. And there's no cut and dry in deer hunting. There's no black and white. Like even though that's what all of us as humans want, it, it's just not that. Mm-mm. No, it's not. So, that, not that at all. So back to the deer slam here. How many years do you think this is going to take? So I, I get that question a lot. Um, we're a full year into it now, and I think we're at seven species. Is it um, seven? Yep, got seven seven species. We've got uh, two trips planned: one in December, one in one in January, which are tricky around around my coaching schedule. Um, we had one, two, two unsuccessful trips this year, which are to be which are to be planned. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, like I put in my head, it's going to be four or five years. Okay. Um, like I, I can, I can say, like, I tell everybody as you're planning, I'm like, this is the one that doesn't have any pressure. If it takes seven or eight years, it takes seven or eight years. But I know once I get past that 20 mark and only have 11 or 10 left, 
I know I'm a I'm a I'm gonna go get it at that point. Like mm-hmm. and it'll just it'll just be that time. And how I'm trying to plan this out is not go after the easier logistic ones first, like plan in tougher ones along the way or, or odder ones. Like next year we're gonna go after the sandbar deer. Um and there are a bunch of them down in Mexico, which logistically planning and just the limited permits, like you gotta plan those ones out farther in the future. Um so like they're those you're trying to blend in each year. Like I look at this list, I don't know which one's going to be last on the list. I right. can tell you that right now. Like I look at Vancouver Island blacktail deer. I know that's going to be a tough one. Like that's so weather dependent. That may take a couple of trips. The brocket deer have already taken a couple of trips, and and there are two of them down there. There's the the gray brown brocket deer and the red brocket deer. Red brocket deer is obviously a little bit tougher for anybody that knows than the gray, but. Like I, I told myself I'm not going back down there this spring because I've got some other trips that I'm going to be filming. But for spring 2024, like I'm like, I'm just going to stay down there for two weeks. Like I may commit just for 14 or 18 days and just stay down there and try to get both of them during that time period. Mm-hmm. Once I'm there, like I'm there with the travel, don't go back another time. Just grind it out and, and just go. If I need to get out of the jungle for a day or two and go back to town, do that, but then go right back into the jungle and, and get after it again. Because those ones are literally just you need time in the Mashan. Yep. Now, time in the Mashan, that may be, you know what, some people get lucky that first afternoon. But then there are other ones that are on their third or fourth trip there. Like that, that's just hunting. Um, but then like the Seminole deer, like down in Florida, well, that's just timing to get down there to to hunt that one or the Gulf Coast whitetail in the U.S. Like those are ones just as I plan out, like to blend a couple of those ones in, which are high success type hunts to blend those in each year to, to keep those ones going. Um, but yeah, I, I'm targeting four to five years. Um, but man, if I have a if I have a good run on it next fall, these ones in the winter turn out pretty good. All of a sudden, I'll be I'll be knocking on seventeen or eighteen after next fall, and give me a solid third year to where I get into the mid or high twenties. Um, we'll probably just go go and get it at that point for sure. Yeah, yep. no, that makes sense. And you know, we as we were kind of planning this whole thing, we were thinking four to six years. You know, mm-hmm. as modestly I would say, but it, yep. like you said, you know. To me, I'm going to go back to me being a little ignorant, but, you know, I thought our Kansas trip was going to be a slam dunk. You know what I mean? Like, And you get there, it's 103 degrees, you know, and deer did move, but it was like the last 15 minutes of light, you know, Mm -hmm. and, you know, in Kansas was another one, or Kentucky was another one I thought was going to be a slam dunk. We had, we had two target deer that we almost pulled the trigger on. Mm -hmm. You were like so close that that trip could have been a slam dunk that first night messed up by a cow mm-hmm. like that, uh, like that it was so close to happening. But again, that's deer hunting. Yep. Like the, the difference between, so like the upland slam, what, what I told everybody at the end of it is okay. in an upland slam, if you're unsuccessful for a period of time and you know, you're in the right area, all it takes is covering different terrain. Cause you're, if the birds are there, if you're in the right area, you're eventually going to find them. Right. Yep. Cause you can hunt all day waterfall a little bit different because you're trying to get them as they fly south but if you're generally in the areas that they concentrate like when we went to georgia for the canvas back well they concentrate there so you're in the the right area trying to get the species that don't migrate down to mexico because once they get to mexico they kind of they kind of pool up and again before they head back north so you've got different areas to get it now with a with a whitetail like you can be in the right area but you know sometimes they're just nocturnal Yep. Like 103 degrees in Kansas in September, 
a lot of those deer, yeah, you'd see them on trail cam all night long, but they wouldn't get there until 45 minutes after dark. Yeah. To where it's just that time period that you're there, and some years you hit that early muzzleloader season in Kansas, and you can get on some giants. But a lot of it's all weather weather dependent that early time. Yeah, and, you know, it's very food dependent too. You, mm-hmm. with with where we were at and you know luckily you can feed in Kansas because honestly I don't know how else I mean there's ways you can you can get after a deer you know without feed but it, you know pushing in I, I'm not gonna lie to you you can call me a sissy if you want but when it's a hundred let's say midday it was 95 degrees getting up to 103 every day the last mm-hmm. thing I want to do is go in and hang a stand or get nestled up you know right on their bed you know or try to get in tight like you, you get in as tight as you can but it's very hard when you step outside and you immediately start sweating you're like what the hell am I doing here you know yep, what exactly I mean? it's like good lord and you're out literally in a t-shirt and the the lightest pair of pants you have on and it's like this is ridiculous <laughs> yeah no it's and just instantly sweating yes instantly and and you know we had an opportunity you know late and it just didn't happen you know and it's yep. uh, it is what it is but i guess we'll have to go back darn you know <laughs> yeah well i mean there are worse things that you could do worse exactly things that you could do. exactly now let me ask you this now with kind of being a time frame and you know this whole slam and everything are you going to take any other weapon than a gun possibly for any yes. of these yes so now like like next year in Kentucky I'll probably like I tried to get there this year but with the hurricane coming through and what changed like I wasn't going to bump those deer um but next year I'll use my bow and in Kentucky I've used my muzzle loader already in Oregon I'll plan to use my muzzle loader again somewhere along the way so mm-hmm. I'll use basically basically I'll, like you know me I use I use all the weapons anytime I can yeah and you use the bow on your on your Michigan northeastern yep. deer as well yep. so yep um, which that's already live everybody if you guys want to see that go to Mark's YouTube channel it's Mark V Peterson hunting on YouTube tons of content on there not just deer slam stuff tons and tons of digital content on there you could literally call in sick for a week and just binge watch so yep um all right so let's go down this list a little bit here i want to know like what is the what is the species you're most excited to go after on this list man i get it like out of this list like i'm excited to go after a lot of them um but as i look here i think the sheldoni mule deer on tiburon island's up towards the top again, just because I've got this fantasy with Tiburon Island, obviously some of the biggest desert sheep in the world live there. Um, and they've got this, this, this crazy mule deer subspecies that lives there. And it's, it's known for, for growing a bunch of kickers and drop tines and just crazy antler type stuff. And I just can't, I, for me, I just can't wait to do that. I can't wait to take the boat across from the mainland to get on the island and, and camp out over there for a week and, and hunt big mule deer. Like, yep. to, like that's like, how awesome does that sound? It sounds awesome. And I can't wait yeah. to go on that one. <laughs> but like that, like that's a cool one. Like, and then like even Sitka blacktail up in Alaska, like one of the, the first trips that I did out of Michigan when I was younger, I went um, Sitka blacktail hunting with my dad up on Kodiak Island. Like I can't I can't wait to go and do that one again just to kind of relive those memories and and Kodiak Island's awesome. 
Like it's all like s- such freak weather up there, but it's so awesome. Yep. Yeah, and and anybody listening that doesn't know where Tiburon Island is, that's you know down off the coast of Mexico, right, in like in the Gulf yep. of the yep. California. Yep, off it's it's between the Baja Peninsula and then it would be um, off Sonora, which is a state down down in Mexico. Sonora is known for having having big mule deer and desert sheep, and then it's right right in the right in the little bay there. Yep, yeah. So that mule deer, and then all of you said the sick of blacktail up in yep. Alaska. Like, what is what is like, and when you look at this list. What is the most like just kind of crazy subspecies when you're like, man, like that? That's just a different one, you know? Because there's a lot on here, but what what would one, you know, yeah, people so like, lis- li- listen to this and be like, man, that's a different one? I mean, obviously the bracket deer are tough because you're hunting those in the jungle. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, like, I look at some of the some of the Mexico ones, like the the Mexican Gulf Coast one that I just did in Veracruz. Thank goodness that's over. Like, so <laughs> tough, so so limited on tags, such a a tough type of hunt. Um, but then I know like the, the Mexican Pacific coast whitetail is going to be the same type of thing, limited tags, limited area. So it's just going to be tougher logistical wise. Like I look at that one, I'll be happy when that one's over. Um, then back to the Sitka, like I know on Kodiak Island, the weather's going to be brutal. The Vancouver Island blacktail deer, like weather's probably going to be brutal on that one. Like it's going to be raining and just cold, wet, and miserable. So you're like, not ideal, but that's what you need to be in in hunting those deer. Um, other ones like that Saskatchewan one, like like I've been up there before. Like it's a cold sit. Oh, so but bad. once like like I tell everybody, once you get past that first day, though, like you're used to it. It's such mm-hmm. a culture shock from anything else. And once you get once you get past that first day, you're like, man, I can do this. It ain't too bad. Yep. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Like, it's so, because, I mean, we came from weather in Michigan that was 50 degrees warmer. Yeah, it was or, nice. Yeah, it was great in Michigan. Then we then we land in Saskatoon, and it's like, holy shit. Like, what, what, what is this? Yeah. yeah, what happened? Another one that I just know, like, probably going to be the toughest one that I go after the the Central American white-tailed deer like that's another uh, jungle deer species like that where's that at so I'm going to try to hunt it in Campeche um okay. same same Mexican state that the bracket deer are in like it's it's just it's just going to be a really really tough one okay. like I'm not like I like I just know it's going to be a grind to be like I I'm fully aware that I'm probably not going to be successful on the on the first trip down there too so you're like, like that's just going to be a really tough one. It's hot. They're only going to move at certain times. There's going to be a lot of sitting with not a lot of action. Um, and truthfully, it's just not very many people hunt them either. Like, I think there may have been three or four guys down there to film that in the past. Like, think of how crazy that is. That is. Yeah. Just a lot of crazy animals on here. Yeah. Like, I yeah, just, just, again, just, and like on that one, like, man, you're not, you're not hunting for a big deer either. So like on some of those, like the the general population that watches is like, oh, he, he shot a, a four point. But like that four <laughs> point down there is is like a hundred and eighty inch deer up here. Yeah. So it's just they're those that like that's all part of like I try to convey that in each video that we do to like just just explain the differences. Yeah, well, you know, let's talk about the Columbia whitetail deer that we kind of briefly hit on. Like mm-hmm. that, that, that deer. What that deer score that you shot at? One nineteen. One nineteen. Okay, you shot it with your muzzleloader, which is yep. 
unofficially pending the new world record. Correct. As a 119 inch deer, you know, and it is a great looking deer, but in the grand scheme of things, 119 inch deer as the, as the white tail is, I mean, it's, it's a good deer, but it's not like a giant. You know, yep. guys in Michigan are like 119 inch deer. Now we're talking. Yeah, exactly. This is us. Now we're talking. <laughs> my my inner uh, shooter gonna shoot is going off. Like, yeah, yep. yeah, I'm gonna yep. shoot that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. But like again, just a, a crazy subspecies to where not very many people have hunted with a muzzleloader just because they're not that many many tags. So you're like, okay, 119 inch inch deer. Like for that subspecies, a great deer. Mm-hmm. But for a general, if you look at all the whitetails, you're like, man, guys in Kansas and Iowa don't shoot 119 inch deer, right? But just just a different area, different subspecies, product of their environment, and it's all yep. relative, you know. Yep. So yep. now, yep, exactly uh, out of all the trips you've been on so far, just for deer species, what's been like kind of the most fun for you? Like, what has been that trip where it's like, man, this is just like. A good one takes me back to, you know, maybe uh, uh, your roots or your thoughts or, or something. Like, what has been the most fun so far? Like, there are, like, there are a couple of them. Um, like, Saskatchewan, I, lo- I love it because Lance and Emily up there and the whole – it's not – that's like a family experience when you yep. get up there. Like, yep. the whole the whole thing. Craig like I, and Ashton. I, yeah, like, I, I, love, I love that whole part about it. Like, obviously, Michigan, the one I got on my driveway here, um, like, that's cool just because, I mean, that's how I grew up hunting. Like yep. I didn't grow. I didn't grow up hunting in Africa or Australia or Asia or everything that I've been doing the last ten years. No, I I grew up here in Michigan. Like I I grew up grouse hunting, woodcock hunting, whitetail hunting, and when I was growing up, whitetail hunting was. I mean, you wouldn't see ten deer in a sit. Like it was right. extremely different than what it is now. Turkey hunting, like rabbit hunting, squirrel hunting, like all, all like that's how I grew up. Like I yep. I did that stuff here. So being able to to do that, like I look, could I have shot a bigger deer somewhere else? Absolutely. I could have, but for mm-hmm. me, like to start the series with that and being here on what I do, like I, that's, that meant more to me than another 30 inches on a deer or something like that. Sure. Um, even the Carmen hunt, like I love hunting in Mexico. Like you guys have all heard me talk about this. I, I, there, I have a fascination with Mexico. I love it. I love hunting there. I love the people. I love the culture. Um, so like that Carmen, I'm looking forward to the trips that we've got going back down there this this december and this january like i i love it even though like the weather's not going to be what everybody thinks of mexico is not going to be 85 and sunny but still just something about eating tortillas and like the whole culture i love it yeah you're a big mexican food guy you like I that i am so. i like it i like it let's talk about that that trip a little bit here in december that we're going to be going you and lee and i are going to be heading down there for mm-hmm. um is it a mexican texanus is that what yep, it is mexican texanus whitetail Okay, so let's talk about that a little bit. Like, what is that animal? Like, what's it look so, like? like what, what so are we basically, into? it's extremely from. It's extremely just like a, a Texas whitetail. Like, if you think about where we're going to hunt them, from the spot that I hunted a Texas whitetail to where we're going to be hunting in Coila, man, it's probably only five hundred miles, six hundred miles. Oh, from of, where we hunted. Of, yep. Okay. Where, where I where I hunted Texas whitetail. So basically, when they did the subspecies of the Mexican Texanus whitetail, is they they took a line and drew it between the between Texas and Mexico, and they did this subspecies of whitetail. Now, like if you start thinking though, it's farther south. There's not as much vegetation. There's not as much ag fields. Um, the deer are going to be generally the same size as a Texas whitetail body wise. But if you start thinking that's a lot smaller body wise than a, than a Northeastern or a Northwestern whitetail or a Midwest whitetail. Yep. So 
Now, from what I've seen on the ranch as far as trail cam picks and, and so forth, man, they've got some good deer down there. Okay. And something about, like, you've seen Texas whitetail to where a guy shoots 130, but the thing looks like a 190-inch deer, right? Because yep. the bodies are so small. They, they've got deer down there that are in the 140s to 160s pretty consistently. And that, on top of the smaller body, it looks like a just freak walking around out there. Sure. Now, yeah. with COVID the last couple of years, um, the ranch we're hunting is 40,000 acres. I mean, 40,000 acres, think about how big that is. Um, and they've only had six hunters on there since 19, just oh with COVID and crossing the border and so forth. Um, so, again, I've, I've seen some of the trail cam picks. It all, it's all going to come down to the what's the weather like. Are we mm-hmm. going to catch it right with the with the weather? And, and we're on a tight tight time frame just between when, when I got to leave from coaching to get back from coaching. Um, we timed it. I think it's going to be a, I think it's going to be a great trip. Anytime you go to a ranch that just hasn't been touched like that in, in years, you know, there are a lot of really good deer walking around out there. Now, are we going to, I've, I've seen trail cam picks. They got 180 inch deer walking around there. Are we going to be able to stumble into that one in, in three and a half days? Uh, probably not, but are we going to be able to get on a pretty, a pretty darn good deer, 140 to 160 inch deer? I, I think we will be, which is for that. Um, I messed up. I should have brought my muzzle loader. Um, but to try to get the paperwork done now to get across the borders and be flipping impossible. Cause I was looking the other day and I think there was, there would have been a, a legit shot to get the muzzleloader world record ah. next in Texanus down there. But again, like it's so tough to travel with that muzzleloader and cross the border with powder. Like you can understand why. Yeah. Now yeah. I, I did look up the, I want to say the world record rifle Mexican, Mexican Texanus deer is 211 inches. So and I, I, I think it's pretty 30, high. <laughs> yeah, I think it's 30 inches above the number two deer. I should have had it pulled up in front of me right now, but I, I literally think it's 30 inches above the number two deer. Yeah. Bar's pretty high, but hey, we'll yep. go out there and see what happens. Yeah. You know? Yep. But I think the muzzleloader world record was like 144, 144, 145. Okay. Okay. So are you taking your, your Gunworks? Taking, yeah, I'm taking the gun, Gunworks 7LRM. Okay. Yeah. I got you. I love that gun. Oh, it's dude. A nice, so nice good. gun. So good. Because again, I asked what shot distances would be, and and then they hit you with, uh, "What are you comfortable?" And then I'm like, "Well, we'll just get as close as we can." <laughs> but they said anywhere from anywhere from the old traditional 100 to you know 650 yards. Oh, okay, all right. right. We'll, we'll just be ready to roll. We'll ground check them then. You yep. Know. Yep. So with that hunt, I'm guessing being like right over the border of Texas, I mean, we're going to be high rack and we're going to be hunting senderos. Probably is that what's going to happen? They they said we're going to do it all. Um, if you think about Texas, this ranch is so big. We're going to be hitting high rack. We're going to be hitting over over feed. We're going to be getting off and glassing up on hills and down in draws and anything in between. Okay. Yep. And especially like you said, we're on a time crunch. I mean, we're literally got to get it done in like three days. You know. Yep. So um, we're going to be moving and grooving all day sits. I'm guessing or hunts. And oh yeah, we'll we'll be going all day. Yep. And just trying to get after it. So I'm excited about that one because hopefully. Now, I thought this in the Carmen hunt when we went last year, I thought it was going to be a little warmer than, uh, you know, Michigan was, but it was not. <laughs> yeah, so, this, I mean, we're going to be very – I mean, this isn't very far away from where we were Carmen hunting. Oh, it's so, like, not? We're going to be a couple hours – no, it's it's the same Mexican state. We're crossing at the same borders, check. Um, so, it's like it could be 65 or it could be 32. Yeah. All depends. Now, tell me this, though. You know, we did drive, like – six hours from the border to get to where we were Carmen hunting. Are we driving that far again? Listen, so what I'm going to tell you is the same thing that I was told. <laughs> from Del Rio, it's a two and a half hour drive. Okay. Now, 
for the Carmen hunt, I was also told that it was a two and a half hour drive. <laughs> so that's not. why I'm going to tell you the same thing that I said along the way. Two and a half hours from Del Rio. Man, and I swear, when we hit the gate at that ranch, it was two and a half hours from there. I swear. It, it uh, took it was, forever. It was so long, I think I stopped to pee three times. Oh, that's I, terrible. I, I just, yeah, so bad. Yeah. Well, good deal. I mean, that's that kind of touches the bases. Is there anything else you wanted to add on this? I mean, it's a no, freaking... like this, it, like I'm looking forward to it. Obviously, we're into it now. I'm 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 already planning. Like each time, I'll I'll do a bunch of research on where to go. Um, like some of these, so I'm like, okay, we we struck out in Kansas. I'm like, man, I've never whitetail hunted in Wyoming. I've mule deer hunted in Wyoming. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe I try that just because it's different for me. Maybe I try one of the Dakotas for that deer instead. Like, like I'm having fun with it just because I look at where the subspecies are, and maybe I'll hunt a spot that I haven't hunted before. Yep. Or then again, like some spots, like a southeastern whitetail. I'm gonna get it in Kentucky. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get on my property down there. Like, there's just enough big deer down there, and eventually it's gonna connect and and we're going to get the one for the show and people have asked, well, why didn't you just use one of the ones that you you've shot down there in the past? I'm like, well, we'll reference those. But for me, like in my head, it started last year on that. So if I didn't get it from the first start date episode, then I got, I just got to go back and redo it. Cause I've got like, I've got sick of deer from Alaska before, but I'm not counting them in this slam. Like I count it from the, the second I said, go. And, and then they count from that moment forward. Yep. Cool. Yeah, well, thank you very much, Mark. Like, and I'm, we'll stay. In, I mean, we'll do another one of these two as we maybe get a little bit farther into the trip, but or into the 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 sequence or everything. But everybody, Mark has his own podcast called the Journey Within Podcast, and you can get it anywhere you get your podcast. Um, we go live with one every Tuesday, and there's a there's a a wide variety of different topics and who Mark talks to, but we're covering every one of these trips in a deep dive um as they go live on youtube as well so they're paired so check that out and also check out mark's youtube channel mark v peterson and the website because like you said mark like there's more content on the you or on your um oh your website talking mm-hmm. about more of like where these deer and the, the you can look at the map and see where all these animals are located on a map regionally so yeah. And we'll continue to add more information as the more spots we go on there, too. Yep. So, very cool. Well, thank you, Mark. Appreciate it. uh, Thanks, Aaron. Have a great day. Yeah, you too, man. Thank you. And there it is. Thank you guys very much for all the support, all the downloads. Go to wherever you download the podcast and listen. Leave a five-star rating. Leave a review. Rate it however you want to do it. Um, That'd be greatly appreciated. Always go tell someone about the podcast. Word of mouth is the best. And check out Helix Broadheads, Latitude Outdoors, Exodus Trail Cams, Vector Arrows, and Garmin. Because they support me and they help the podcast run. So thank you guys very much. We'll be right here next time on the Fall Podcast.